with great power comes great responsibility. Tottenham topple the champions on day one. Wow! He's taken the cover off that. A splendid goal from Son Heung-min, which gets Spurs off to a fly. Hello and welcome to A Bit Spursy for another week. That's right, another week. It's two weeks in a row. We're doing a pod. I'm Barney. We're good. We're building up our podcast congestion like Spurs games. Mm, Although, exactly. to be fair, actually, just at the normal rate where we ideally want to do them and we're not yeah. plagued by, you know, COVID-related bits and pieces to stop us doing it. Exactly. Usually at the start I say, I'm Barney, and then you say, I'm Dan, but you haven't said that yet. You've just explained. So are you, do you want to or Sorry. are you just going to leave it today? I am Dan. Yeah, sweet. Oh, thank God. Um <laughs> We've got uh, two games to talk about, uh, Crystal Palace, um, which uh, Dan seems to remember a lot better than I do because I have been blacked out with rage over the Southampton one. Um, so, Dan, do you want to start uh, with those games or do you want to start with something else? What's your, what's your plan? Um, let's go straight in to the games because mm-hmm. we've got two games to get through and I'm sure we'll find some other things to go off on the way. Yep. Um, and uh, this was good with the Palace game because this was a game that we watched together mm-hmm. and we had a win. Mm-hmm. Which was great. Mm-hmm. Um, which is then slightly worrying that it's blacked out from your memory so much. But I do understand, like the Southampton game was very, very frustrating. We will get onto that to that later. And I think I, I, I felt things in the Southampton game that I hadn't felt for a while. Yeah, um, yeah. Just around of how it played out. But yeah, the Palace game. I think we should start with that because you know I think this was continuing on from. The Liverpool performance, which I think we all agreed was really, really good and mm. uh, the team was, you know, watchable again and it was enjoyable mm. to watch us play and it seemed like we had a bit of fight in us. Uh, and, and really in the the Palace game, like, I mean, the Zaha going off, like he's their most attacking threat that you really have to worry about. And whenever we've played them in the past, I'm always kind of like, all right, we just need to shut down Zaha and then we're good. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. And we're so prone, I feel like, when we play teams like uh, Palace or Wolves or um, there will be more examples that I can think of in a moment, but that those teams that aren't great but they've got one player that is sort of inconsistently brilliant, it always feels like we get punished by the Zahas or the Traores um, in a way that it's like, of course – they score against us with some like ridiculous dribbling run. Um, so him going off was, oh god, it was it was gorgeous. I mean, perfect karma as well after after the last game, and also you know like uh, the difference between you know during the Mourinho times and the the Nuno times, there was so much debate over like is it the players, is it the manager, blah blah blah, and we have like a com- direct comparison now between. Uh, early season, we lose 3-0 to Palace. And then now with Conte, we beat them 3-0. That's a six-goal turnaround. Um, if you, yeah, think about it in, in the sense of conceding goals, that's um, that's pretty good, pretty amazing. Oh, it's pretty good. And, and like, just the just how the performances felt. Like, I remember watching the, the, the first Palace game and it was just, like, it was a no-hope affair. <laughs> like, it mm. was... It was really depressing watching that and you just thought, oh, no, this is going to be a tough afternoon. And mm. it felt like at that stage, you know, Palace hadn't really found their stride yet under mm. Vieira. So if, if they had, they could have probably beaten us by like, you know, four or five. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this was a sort of completely different performance. And I think a thought I just had about the, the sort of wingers that we've often come up against is that 
it feels like when we played four at the back because we haven't really had any like lockdown fullbacks for a while. Mm. And I would say I'm back, you know, we have to go back to like Walker and Rose to me personally, like the last time we really had like two fullbacks who can really kind of shut down a winger um, yep. and can match them for pace and uh, can go forward. But also, yeah, it's, they're not, they were sort of like two-way players at their, at their, their best um, yeah. when we had them. Whereas since then we've had, you know, a lot of our fullbacks, they have been defensively not that great overall. <laughs> yeah. um, so wingers have been able to sort of get at us and give us a pretty pretty rough time. So, yeah, it was it was it was great, and look, I really enjoyed seeing Zaha go off because it did feel like retribution for the Tanganga incident that happened earlier in the season, especially mm-hmm. with the Tanganga one, because you know I was quite annoyed at the time because I was like Zaha like retaliates and um, he should get something for this too. Like, yeah, <laughs> we've been told in the past that like you retaliate like you know Son's done previously and you get sent off, so mm. it kind of felt like Zaha got away with one. Um, but then it was like, you know, it was great to see him just get accurately punished uh, for what he did this time. Yeah. And it was like, you know, his retaliation last time with Tanganga, they were like throwing handbags a bit like they were pushing. And then this was like he'd been winding up for this push since that time. <laughs> when when he launches Sanchez into the ground, like Sanchez does a fantastic job of A, drawing the foul, and then B, making the most out of getting pushed over without making it look ridiculous. Um, and... Oh, oh! It felt it felt so good to see him have to walk. Like it was so funny. It was so good, and you know, I think most people look at that and go, "Yep, yeah, that was a red, <laughs> of course." Mm. Apart from good old Rio Ferdinand, who I know after the game he was complaining because um, I think Peter Crouch was like, "Yeah, you know, Zaha's had a, a seen the red mist. He's had a bad moment, and mm. he's got set off. That's not good." And then Ferdinand, um, you know, who. We love to criticize, you know, accuse a lot of people of being like anti-Spurs, but I often feel like we get very little love from Rio. Um, oh, yeah. And he was like, oh, it's just so unfortunate that like, you know, Sanchez had to, and it was kind of blaming on blaming Sanchez for the incidents. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. what what's going on here? Like, yeah. Like that, Zaha, that is a clear red. And it's mm. just like, it brings, it brings me a lot of joy when we see VAR being used to red card players and like, and I don't mean that in a bad way, like when they shouldn't get a red card. Um, mm. But I'm like, cool. That's those moments where you go, you know what? VAR is working. Mm. It means that you don't get away with like certain challenges anymore. You don't get away with certain indiscretions where you should be sent off. Mm. Mm. Yeah, totally. I think Rio Ferdinand, if one of the Spurs players was murdered, he would be like, he would do the whole like victim blaming, like, well, what were they doing at the time? Was it annoying? Um, you know, like, wh- what was their relationship with the murderer? Like, it would all <laughs> – I think he is not just a little bit anti-Spurs. I think he's extremely anti-Spurs um, and I can't stand it. So, it, you it's know, like, like the, I mean – I was just going to oh, say the, the only moment I think he's ever been sort of pro-Spurs – was uh, when Lucas scored the hat-trick in Amsterdam and mm. he was there doing the coverage and he checked on Glenn Hoddle to make sure he didn't have a second heart attack. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's the only time I think I've ever seen him show concern for any Spurs or Spurs-adjacent personnel. Absolutely, yeah. I did think of that that moment and that was just him getting wrapped up in the moment because he's like, proper English. <laughs> so um, he just liked the fact that an English team won. Um that's uh, that's the truth, and I won't hear anything against it. Rio Ferdinand. <laughs> um, the other thing that I loved about uh, the the Palace game was Lucas's header was 
amazing. Like as a as a small man myself, watching him climb to the heights that he did to score that goal and the power he showed um, was was awesome. I mean, his whole performance was amazing. Like two assists and a goal. Um, like this was uh, this was pure Lin- uh, <laughs> Linton. What Lucas Mora? <laughs> this is pure Linton. Lucas Mora at his uh, at his absolute best. You could have just sold Linton, and I would have just thought, oh, that's just a saying that I haven't heard before. That it means something's really good. It's just pure hundred percent Linton. Hundred percent Linton. Although hopefully that's not referring to Joel Linton. Yeah, that's not good. You don't want. We don't yeah. want that. No, but, we don't want that. But I, I do agree. Like Lucas is. He's so good. He's so good in the air, and mm. for his height. Um, and Barney, when you say you're a small man, you're not that small. Um, mm. And I'm not saying you got a complex about, it, but like when you say you're a small man, I, I just don't bother people picturing that you know you're like four foot eight. Um, <laughs> I think I think I mean you know like because these guys are all so huge. Like when you see them in the flesh, they're giants. And Lucas is actually genuinely not a giant. He's just like a a, a regular sized man. Yeah, yeah, um, and he yeah. looks very small by comparison, especially. Yes. I guess because he's going up against defenders pretty often and most defenders going around these days are six foot plus. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it makes it all the more impressive. Like if you see the stats that for like the aerial jewels and stuff that Lucas wins, like it's pretty ridiculous mm. um, that he's just got such a leap on him. Um, yeah. And also often he just, he shows a lot of desire when he goes for those headers. Mm. Um, and like, so the goal he scored here, um, it was like, it was ridiculous. It just looks like Mighty Mouse jumping over, you know, an elephant. Um, mm. And you're just like, it's it's unbelievable. So, like, even if there are any calls for, like, oh, well, he's barreled through the defender. It's like, look at the size of the guy. Yeah. I mean, this is, like, that's just a great sort of attacking header. Um, totally. And it's something that we don't see really from anyone else in the squad. Like, we know that, like, Kane has scored some headers in the past, but he doesn't really score those ones where it's, like, he has to just sort of decimate someone to get to it. It's like mm. he'll kind of do ones where maybe he gets a flick on or kind of he cushions it and he's got a bit of space and cushions it back in, you know, into the far post or something like that. But, I mean, Lucas is really the only one who shows this just complete desire. He's like, I am getting my head on this and I don't care what anyone else tries to do. Totally. I love that um, in praising Lucas, we've still got so much residual anger about Kane. We're like, and Kane doesn't do this. He couldn't. Um, <laughs> I, th- I think it's, it's desire is such an interesting word because, you know, on this podcast we make fun of, you know, people who talk about, you know, like they've just got to mean it. They've got to get in there. They've got to have the desire, the drive. But this goal is so much like this is it encapsulated in that moment where he actually is like, I want to score this goal and I believe that I by doing this I can do it. Um, and I, I'd be interested to like find out how much of the desire talk is actually more like a self-belief or a comp or having confidence in your abilities to do something like that and at, uh, be it moment to moment or, or more uh, long-term. Like he – because if you don't believe that you're going to be able to affect – uh, the play there, you don't go for it, but he does. So, um, yeah, I, it was awesome. It was awesome. And, like, you know, so good to see Sonny score and and Kane score, I guess. Um, wasn't the same as Lucas's goal. Um, wasn't pure Linton. Um, so, yeah. Like, it, it was a good game. It, it felt like we just, like, absolutely stomped them. Oh, definitely. Um, and I think that, yeah, like you, you know, your point making here about sort of the desire and like, yeah, we we have spoken about that, but I think we speak about that in terms of like the general sense of punditry of going like, 
oh, why didn't the whole team win? It's like, oh, they didn't want it. And it's like, (laughs) okay, whatever. Um, But it's like certain moments on the field, it's like you do need someone who, and I think you're right, it does come down to confidence and believing that they can do it and they will get there. Mm. Um, And I think you, there was a similar goal. I can't remember who it was against, but um, Bale scored for us uh, last season. It was another header. And it was a similar thing where it's like he just got there. Mm. And I do think it is a confidence thing. And, I mean, like Conte spoken about sort of, um, again, needing to like, you know, we still need to work on the mentality of the players and having them having us believe that we can do the things that we want to achieve. Mm. Um, and that being a sort of a big sort of, you know, work in progress. And I kind of feel like when Mourinho was saying it, I'm like, all right, it's just Mourinho rhetoric. Fine, shut up, Jose. <laughs> Let mm. it go. But when Conte says it, I'm like, no, yeah, I believe you, Conte. <laughs> That's a, yeah. Antonio, you're speaking the truth. Yeah, yeah, of course, anything you say. Well, it's interesting that these, like a lot of these players having come close to a title, failed, got to the Champions League final, lost, been to cup finals, lost them. The only experience they have of reaching the moment before they win a trophy is uh, is disappointment. And, and that's happened repetitively. They don't have any uh, feeling of success where it's like, well, okay, we know that we're capable of winning. We know that we are able to do so. Um, there's only evidence in their brains of, of not being able to do so. So it's like such a big thing. You know, it's a huge part of sport. That's why they have sports psychologists. Um, and I agree. Like I trust trust in Conte to go about it in a way that's not like, you're going to have big balls. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, definitely. And I think when you look at that, like the members of our squad that have won something, and I could be a little bit wrong here, but um, Loris obviously has won the World Cup. Um, mm-hmm. Then you have Son, who I think has won the Asian Games. I think they came... They, yeah, that's how we got out of uh, having to go to the military. Yeah. Um, yep. So we've got there. And then Hoybier's won the title with Bayern, but he wasn't like he was a, a much younger player then and, mm. and everything like that. And I think pretty much apart from that, and maybe maybe Region won, I think he UEFA Cup with Sevilla, but I'm not too sure. But he a, did, yeah. Apart from that, the, right, there's not like this core backbone of sort of winning, um, winning mentality. And I hate that we sort of get into this sort of discussion here, but it really seems like, I guess when Conte talks about it, it seems like he is legit with it. Mm. And at every moment in interviews, I think because as well, he doesn't just default to blaming everyone else and not <laughs> himself, which was like when Joe, when Jose is deflecting everything, it's, you're just kind of like, look, even if you're saying some stuff that might be valid, like you just like yuck with everything mm. you're talking about now. And you know, you're, you're more keen on like hanging out individual players to dry than you are for anything else here. So eh, it just doesn't really sit right. Whereas when Conte talks about this stuff, it's like we have the man here who can get this squad to actually believe because mm. you have to look at it and go, this is a guy who wins and he has come here. So mm. he obviously believes that he can do something at Spurs. He's mm. not going to come here and go, you know what, I'm going to go there, just see what happens and yeah, yeah, I don't know. Maybe in a season or two, uh, I'll just leave and they'll be the same. Who cares? Um, mm-hmm. You just tell he <laughs> is obsessive about winning, and he believes that he can do something with his squad. And like the signs are there that we can do it. Um, but again, it's like it's just taking time to sort of build up that belief by players. And I think when we have been through so many managers, it's hard for them to actually believe that believe in themselves like a consistent period because you're constantly getting changed around you're constantly getting managers who like aren't doing well enough and get sacked and all this sort of mm. stuff so there is that sort of um 
there have been a sort of a few dips over the last few years. So I don't really blame the players necessarily for, for needing time to really kind of start believing that they can actually achieve things. Totally. And like winning mentality is a paradox in itself because how do you get winning mentality by winning? Well, how did you win in the first place if you didn't have winning mentality? You had to have had something that led to the fact that you won. Was it a, like just random? Because then you're going to yeah. think that it's just random that you won. And then if you have winning mentality and then you lose, do you lose w- winning mentality? Or like, you know, what is that concept? Like I think we uh, or, or punditry or, or football commentary in general – falls into holes when we start talking about mindset and we start talking about winning mentalities when there's so many other things going on to create an atmosphere to which there is a belief in the group that they are able to win games, Uh, be it um, a belief within, you know, just like an in-group belief or a belief that they are better than the other out-groups or, well, you know, like so much of it comes down to, you know, uh, one game at a time, like which is – you know, like so valid as a, a, you know, when they say that in interviews, it sounds like media speak, but it's not. It's like you actually, that actually needs to be a focus. Um, but the the problem is that I think we've had that before where it's one game at a time. We've just got to keep on going. And then we get to the precipice of, okay, now this is the thing we need to win. And that's when we fall down. And it's uh, that thing that needs to be addressed, whatever the hell that is. Definitely. Um, we, yeah, which is, I think, a good maybe way to lead into the next game because I felt like if winning mentality was a thing, we kind of had it but also didn't at all. Um, and yeah. It, yeah. It kind of felt um, to me that the – it was weird. Like it was weird how this Southampton game mirrored the, the Palace game in the mm. sense of like getting an early red card. Mm-hmm. Um, and having most of the game where we're playing with the advantage. Now, yeah. the thing about Palace is they didn't really sort of like just drop back and try and defend um, mm. as much as possible for this. And, I've, and I'm pretty sure, you know, that's also because, you know, they were 2-0 down when the goal happened. So what are they going to do? They're not just going to sit mm. back and go, all right, let's just settle <laughs> down and uh, leave it at 2-0 and, and do that. They're like, well, let's do what we can and see if we can get back into the game somehow. Mm. Um, but it was really interesting, like, playing against a team that went down to, I think it was in, like, the 20th minute, 30th minute or something that – or maybe – actually, no, I think it was close to the 40th minute that Salusu went off. Um, and I think when mm. we were – because we watched this game sort of um, separately and we were messaging each other going, like, there is just no question that Salisu is getting a red. Um, yeah. Because he was just putting in too many, like, fouls and it's like, well, he's going to get a yellow soon just for the accumulation of fouls and he's going to get sent off. Like, he's just – you can see how he's playing. Um, and then it happened and then we scored and then – I don't know. It kind of felt like – I don't know if we just thought we would cruise over the top of them because it's like, mm. well, we've got so much time so we can just stay calm and there's no not much of a rush and um, – like it just had a weird feeling about it because I think like, you know, we'd obviously run over Palace in the previous game. We're like, cool, we've got another red card, 10 men. That's all right. Easy does it. Three points here. And it felt almost like we just thought we had the three points before, before halftime. I think the plan was very similar to the Leeds game where it was like, we'll go out there. We will conserve energy. We will wait until the second half when they've tied themselves out from the bananas tackling and pressing that they were doing um and then we and then they'll still try and do that and then we can just play through them and score and it will be easy 
But because of that red card, that meant that they all dropped back and then our plan kind of got a bit muddied because then it's like, well, we've now kind of waited for a half to then face just a low block, which, um, you know, we've had much difficulty in the past under more defensive managers in trying to deal with that. Um, yeah, I mean, just on Southampton, I, I wonder, I really want to know what Harsen Hoodle said to them before they went on because it was hilarious. Like I've never, ever seen a team come out and and be that aggressive but not in a way that's like this is going to help you win. It was like this is insane. You're going to – someone is going to get sent off. And and then also <laughs> – how do you say it? Salisu. 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 When Salisu, uh, I think, got his first yellow, yeah, we were both like, he's going to – like how is he not going to get sent off? And then the way he got sent off with that tackle against Son was like, what? What are you doing? Like what – what? <laughs> You're better off letting him go there. The angle is uh, harsher than that of a penalty, which Harry Kane is going to take and is quite good at. Like, it was baffling to me. Yeah, I really don't understand what some defenders do in those situations where they go, right, Son is so clearly in here. If he shoots, he's probably got a decent chance of scoring, Um, but I'm going to take him down. And he already, like, Salisu knows he's on a yellow. (laughs) So Mm. it's like... It's just, it's like, it's completely like crazy to to go in for that tackle um, and then just put your team a man down and knowing like there's a high chance, like more penalties are scored than aren't. So mm. you're like, well, we can either just let this goal happen and then, you know, rally. It's only 1-1 at that stage. Mm. And then we just like tighten up and make sure we don't make these mistakes. Um, and it sounds like we're defending Southampton here, but it's just like <laughs> in the mentality of this, it was like, it was so surprising to see that tackle come out. Um, at that moment and then, yeah, seemingly hand it to us. But I think on the whole overall mentality thing, it reminds me of something that Conte said recently about our team in that saying that we're a bit too emotional. And Mm. I feel like the way Southampton came out and playing, they were playing too emotionally. Like they were getting a bit too revved up um, Mm. in front of their home crowd. And that's where you saw that something was going to go wrong for them um, because it was a little bit naive in sort of how they went about the game. Um, for the start. But then, mm. like, I mean, if you look at this game as a whole, it's so easy and you hear so many Spurs fans going like, oh, it's another team that plays low and we can never unpick them. And, oh, it's not since Ericsson that we were able to unpick teams like this. And it's like, hang on. Like, there is a reason why these teams drop back and sit back in situations like this because it is very difficult to break them down. Mm. Like, it's not just that we suck and we're horrible. It's that mm. whenever a team, any team plays like this, it, they make it so difficult for you to break through that you mm. kind of have to resort to like trying to get it wide and get crosses in um, or taking sort of like, you know, pot shots from, you know, 35 yards out or something. Um, and like they, like Southampton really just dug in and did a pretty good job of holding on to it. Although we, I think we had two fair goals disallowed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we broke through twice um, and we were robbed. But also, it makes it. You're so right. It makes it. It is. It works. It's difficult because, at the like absolute base level of football, you are trying to score goals at one end and protect your goals at the other. And if a team then goes, actually, we don't want to try and score goals. We're just going to defend um, our own goal. That just takes away the 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 counterpoint 
And so then you just put all your resources on one thing rather than spreading them across two and hoping or, or training so that, rather training, that you <laughs> <laughs> can balance those two things out versus like, uh, you know, like going all out attack and like Southampton did last season where their line was so high, you know, we beat them five, what was it, five, one or five, two in the end? Yeah. Um, yeah. And like that's, that's why, you know, teams don't do that. It's, yeah, baffling to me. Yeah, and on the, I think I saw some, like it was like the NBC who covers the Premier League in America put up this thing about like uh, worrying that Spurs can't break another team down. And it's like, we did though. Uh, we did. And we got shafted. Like, I cannot believe that we have yet again suffered uh, another VAR offside decision that seemingly is like, you know, like eye test wise, I was like, it was an offside. But then looking, I think there was a, a close offside in last night or maybe the night before there was a game. I can't remember what it was, but the BBC put up a comparison between the two and the lines are drawn differently. Like it's like, what, like what, if it's this close and we can't differentiate between uh, the onside and offside there, it's got to be onside. Uh, I don't think it was offside anyway because they were going from his sh- – I thought we'd stop doing the shoulder thing, but apparently, no, no, we're still doing it um, because it's – you know, the letter of the law is like uh, if any part of the player's body that is able to score is is offside, then it's offside. I mean, you know, all the goals that everyone's scoring with their shoulders, um, it's ridiculous. <laughs> well, I think at the start of this season, um, Mike Riley, the Premier League ref chief now mm. – um, I'm pretty sure he's quoted as saying, you know, players will be given the benefit of the doubt this season as goals won't be ruled out for offside due to toenails and noses. Because um, mm. I think from last season especially, we've seen a lot of goals ruled out and like some against us that were ruled out for offside and you're like, yeah, it's offside when the players, <laughs> literally their toe is a mm. is ahead. And you, and if you asked honestly and you're like, is that what you want from the game? We'd be like, ah, well, yeah. no, it should probably be a goal. Um, mm. But it seems like, it seemed like, okay, cool. We're going to try and correct it. We're going to bring it back a bit and we're going to relax it a little bit so that these sort of, you do give the benefit of the doubt to players. Now you have the Southampton and where the VAR camera is, like you might as well just have like a, a, a camera that's like on the end of the pitch. Like, I don't know what <laughs> angle that is and like how you can just look at that and go, oh yeah, there is no doubt at all that he was onside. And I feel like mm. you have to look at it and go, we, we have no doubt in our mind that he's offside. And then mm. if you do that and you rule it offside, fine. But if you're like, we're not too sure. And if you have to get out the lines and measure this closely, and then you have to like, they do this weird stuff where they're like, is it armpit? Is it end of the shoulder? Like this mm. one where the line is, it looks like it's halfway down Harry Kane's arm. And like mm. my main contention with this and my sort of big issue with VAR in general and, and, and offsides and, and, and handballs and everything like that is that it just changes every season. So, mm. like, we put up a photo on our Twitter, which was a comparison of this and then Sissoko's one in the Champions League final. So Sissoko's one, it goes into his armpit, and then it's like, <laughs> whoop, handball, handball, you can't use your body for that. Yet mm. this one, the line is halfway down Kane's arm, and then apparently you can score a goal with that, even though mm. you actually can't. Um, so it just seems, though, as though, like, we bring in VAR as this thing that is, like, faultless or, or, or that the people who are commanding are trying to make it that but it's like there's always going to be some sort of human error and mm. we're not allowing any room for that error in there. We're trying to be like too precise with things. 
Mm, yeah, I mean, I think the, the issue is that if it was, if we were able to um, absolutely pinpoint when someone was onside or offside, then I would have let, like, I wouldn't like it, but it, I, I would be like, well, okay, I guess if you're going to apply the, the like, absolute definition that is unchanging and this is you can prove by uh, the distance because the camera's at the perfect point and uh, by measuring this, we can see that it's offside. But instead what it is is it's like, well, we're going to have to go to VAR because human error is an issue and then let's hand it over to the VAR scientists and the VAR scientists <laughs> are just those like inflatable men out the, those inflatable men out the front of um, like car shops <laughs> that are filled with air that, that like – can't do like how can you go default to a camera that is on an angle <laughs> to which you're trying to draw a straight line like it's so so bad um and so frustrating the other thing was like i understand if um it sort of came out of the blue like most of the time it's like oh they're ch- they are checking but that didn't happen it was just like vr have said it's offside it was like oh, what like, hang on a minute, what? Well, even it's- on the first replay that came up, because I was just worried. I, I like, I panic at, well, I don't panic, but I stopped celebrating um, and I'm, I don't purposely try and do it. My body just stops celebrating now until there's a VAR check because I'm, mm. I'm always like, oh, no, I'm going to get it. so excited here and it's definitely, and then it's going to be given, like, sorry, disallowed for some, you know, ridiculous mm. reason. Uh, but then when I first saw the replay of this where they it wasn't a VAR call yet and they just showed the replay and I was like, oh, Thank God he's on. He's so clearly mm. on. Great. Um, and I was getting all happy about it. And I was like, yeah, finally, we've broken through. Now we're going to get through. Great. Now we can maybe score another one or two goals and everything will be fine. But then, like you say, like then going back to the VAR check and you're like, oh, come on now. <laughs> like, mm. and, like I, and I guess why, you know, um, people who aren't Spurs fans, they're like, well, get on with it. You were rubbish for the rest of the game. You can't go on those opportunities. <laughs> but it's like that opportunity gets called slightly differently. We run away with this game because then Southampton mm. have no option but to open up and try and get mm. back in the game. So then mm-hmm. as soon as that happens, we're scoring more goals easily. Mm. Um, and it's just like you just look at this and, I mean, the more times you look at this, the more onside it looks because you look at it and, like, the majority of Kane's whole body is much further back and he's going mm. to make a good run. Like this is a good mm. run to make, which forwards should be encouraged to make. The defender, which I think is Benarek, who's keeping him on side, is standing flat-footed and still, and it's bad defending. Mm. And it's like you then are now getting rewarded for bad defending in these situations rather than sort of promoting attacking play and promoting like what you want. You want your strikers playing on the edge. And this is for all teams going for these choices and making because that's what makes the game exciting. So we stop this. It's like, what's going to happen now? Fords aren't going to make runs through behind because they they just know it's going to be offside, and then everything has to be a slow build up, and nothing sort of breaks through. Like, mm. it, it just has the chance to sort of like keep crippling the game when we have decisions like this, which are made. And then again, the the other thing which is so frustrating about this is that we never get answers afterwards from the referees or VAR coming out and going, "Oh, actually, we think that we've got this one wrong," or "We think that this is a contentious decision." And we're not a hundred percent sure on it. Mm, mm, yeah, it's 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 fascinating to me. The uh, de- like, I'm not up for uh, abusing refs, but it, one of the things that I find, which I think opens refs up to more abuse, is that there is no admission of 
error. Like it's it, it's just um, you, the decision happens. It's like well that was wrong, and then you, there's no uh, like consequence seemingly for the fans to like to be able to view. You know sometimes uh, who was it that. I think it was the Brighton Spurs game last season where Bale scored that scored a header and there was a foul in the build up to their goal. I think Hoybier got fouled and post that game the ref of that game got dropped to the championship or something and that was mm. like oh okay cool they're saying that you stuffed it. But with this cuz VAR is faceless it's like well is this same person what what's happening? Like, are they going to continue to use VAR? Is is the referring if they are? Is the is the governing body going to be like that was wrong? This is how it needs to be applied. Like, it, it's so uh, it's not mysterious. It's just annoyingly um, uh, not transparent. It's oh, definitely uh, yeah. And it's like I just find it bizarre that it's always trying to go when goals and when offside comes into it. It's always erring on the side of the defender. And I yeah. don't know if they do that because they think that, you know, for the rest of the game, maybe VAR favors the attackers when they go back and mm. look at plays in slow motion and it's a tackle and it's like the defender can get penalized for something they might have gotten away with. So maybe then they mm. kind of balance it out with this a little bit. But it just mm. feels so bizarre that it's like, you know, the thing we've loved so much about the Premier League is that it's a, it's a fast attacking league. Um, mm. It's like even though you do have some teams that sort of set up and, and, and try and defend, then not many do. Um, and it's just like that constant worry of like losing the essence of why we follow um, the Premier League when when things like this don't happen. And I, I just want to see from all teams, this is not even a Spurs thing, I just want to see from all teams, favor the attacker, and if someone is a little, if someone's a little bit off with a part of their body, I'm not going to complain as a Spurs fan if that goes against us. Because mm. it's like, to me, it's like, you know, live by the sword, die by the sword. Like we, we want the mm. same rules in that everyone is judged by. Mm. Um and yeah, instead of just having these decisions that seem ridiculous. And then the other decision on this game, which this probably leads into, is when um, Fraser Forster, the 10 foot tall giant, like <laughs> yeah. the mountain in goals for them. Um, I'm baffled as well of like how this is given as a foul on Doherty because it's like, like the, the keeper, he's so big and strong. You can't mm. argue to me that he shouldn't be able to catch the ball there and and just ride a bit of a challenge like or, or a bit of a collision midair. Um, but it's he drops the ball, he fumbles it, and it goes in, and it's like, oh, no, 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 VAR, that, that's a foul. And it's like, what? How is that yeah. a thing? I, I was like peaking anger at this point because <laughs> I was like, how? So goalkeeper, I understand that goalkeepers have to be protected to some degree, right? But part of that agreement from what I have seen from watching football is that they need to be able to, t they have to do to the best of their ability to win the ball. And that involves, Fraser Forster is huge, right? He waits for the ball and catches it on his chest, which is like, no, he should be reaching up and catching it above his head, which is the, the sort of the area to which he is protected in. He doesn't do that. He puts it on his chest, he drops it, and it goes into the goals. It's like that is his error, not a foul. And then again, like you said about the defending with the VAR, where they're being rewarded for being like a, a it's poor defensive positioning. This is poor goalkeeping. And it's like, no, 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 no. It's like Oz kick where it's like he made an attempt. He made an attempt to take a mark. So that's a mark. Like what? Like what is, 
what is this? Like, you can't be savage on the VAR where it's like, uh, well, uh, using our measurement technologies, it's actually uh, this. And then on the opposite end, be like, oh, no, well, he tried to get it and he dropped it. So let's go back. And Doherty was there. Like, oh, it's so frustrating. Totally. Um, what does this promote yeah. going forward for goalkeepers? It promotes them. All they need to do in any situation where it's difficult is just force contact with a player. And mm. then they will be judged to have been like, ah, oh, the players touch the goalkeeper, boop, foul, foul. Mm. Um, and like, even though, from my understanding, why they gave this was like, oh, the the goalkeeper had the ball under his control, and then another mm. player came in. It's like mm. he's jumped up in the air to grab it, and like, you, until he lands, you can't say it's safely within his control. Mm. So it's mm. like if he's jumping up into where another player is, and he tries to grab it, and it falls through, and then he, the keeper lands. That's not in his control. He's never had the mm. ball within his control there. So just because it touches both of his arms and uh, against his chest, that can't be deemed to be in control of the ball. Um, yeah. It's just like, you know, if if a player jumped up to try and chest it um, and then as soon as, like, they chested it, you go, oh, they've got control of the ball. It's like, no, they don't. They have to bring the ball down. They have to, like, yeah. confidently do that. And so I think, look, there was one positive of this was like for once the, I, I don't know who the commentators were that we had on the coverage, but one of the commentators was actually advocating like, why was this not given? This to me should be a clear goal. And I think they said that for both of these instances. Mm. Um, and you look at this, it's like we get these two goals. It's a very different game. Totally, yeah. And like you said, even the first goal where it forces Southampton to come out um, and not just sit deep for a loss, uh, that opens the game up. That means they might very well score again, but also it's probably more likely with the man down that we score. Um, and the fact that we we scored twice <laughs> and both goals were given, uh, were ruled out for, for like almost no reason. Um, yeah, it's so, so frustrating. Um, and really just like, like at the end of the game, I just felt so like dissatisfied because it wasn't even like we'd lost and then it's like, oh, well, that sucks. It, 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 we, we won, but we didn't win because it was a draw because somebody in a studio box control center uh, Batman cave, whatever, has decided that these two things uh, un- uh, have affected the um, other Southampton and w- w- were scored unfairly. It's like, what? I, I can't even speak. I'm so, I'm so annoyed <laughs> about it. I'm so annoyed. It was so frustrating watching it for those reasons. And it wasn't because, like, to me, it's not like, oh, we were not doing enough to win. Oh, come on. You got to try harder. Uh, it wasn't that mm. at all. It was just like, what do we have to do <laughs> to, to get the result yeah. here? And like having said all that, like I do like that Conte came out and and took responsibility and was like, no, we need to we need to score, we need to play better. I like the mm. manager doing that because I think in line with what the manager is trying to do with building up the players to take their own responsibility, they are in mm. control of where they're heading. They're not going to start playing the victim card for teams when they don't win. I do prefer that than having a manager who comes out and whines about everything. Kind of like we spoke mm. about on the last episode about Klopp coming out and complaining about VAR through his whole mm. interview and the Spurs, uh, you know, sorry, the Liverpool draw. So I've got no issue with Conte coming out and saying, no, look, we still had enough time to score and we should have scored and we should have, you know, we should have done that. But mm. I don't, Conte's not doing that, I think, because he honestly believes that and that's all. It's like, I see that as like, that's purely like, we are building up this mentality which we are responsible 
But then the rest of us as fans, we don't have to jump on this and then just start like hating on the team for everything and going back, oh, back to the old days where we're not good enough, we can't do it. It's like, no, we can actually look back and because the players aren't listening to this podcast. Like as much as we would love to hear that in the training ground before sessions, they're like, oh, boys, we just chuck on the latest bit Spursy and (laughs) see see who they've given the bit Spursy medal to this week. Like as much as we wish that was the case, that's not happening. So the players are living in somewhat of a bubble. And so I, Mm. I appreciate the manager keeping them within that. Um, mm-hmm. but like, let's just not use this to sort of, um, keep pushing on these false narratives from the past, because I think as well as fans, if we keep pushing on past narratives, we're the ones that keep that narrative alive. So mm. if we keep mentioning it every time that we don't score against a team that really sort of buckles in and we're like, Oh, well, typical us. It's like, we're the only ones keeping that alive. If we just choose <laughs> yeah. to uh, break free from that, um, that's fine. Then it's done. Then it's dead. Then we stop believing mm. that as fans every single time this happens. Mm, yep, totally. You're totally right. Yeah, we're just perpetuating this uh, like prophecy almost that we're always going to fall short or we're not going to be able to do what needs to be done when, <laughs> yeah, the only people that are actually uh, continuing that myth are us. And, um, yeah, it's it's annoying. I, I mean, I can understand, you know, after like during the Nuno times where it was like, oh, God, here we go, this is terrible. I Like I can understand getting into that mindset but – I just said mindset, Dan, um, <laughs> the, getting into that uh, mental space, but it's not uh, it's not conducive to uh, building any kind of future success. It's 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 completely um, it's a virus. It's a mind virus. That's what it is. Oh, it, it, um, it is. And I think that the thing I find so frustrating about it is that like <laughs> it's like so many like fans just they would rather be right in terms of what they thought was going to happen. And like, you know, they want to keep seeing themselves as prophets who know everything. And <laughs> and it's like, well, Bill, see, I told you we were going to, I told you we were going to lose with them, um, mm. which is again, what we spoke about in, in the last episode about the Liverpool game, when we started with that midfield. Um, and I, I when I was like, I, I don't know about playing Delhi and um, the mm. double A weeks together, like, I don't know about this. Um, but then after the going, being like, after the game, being like, you know what, I'm glad that I was wrong. And I'm happy to be that rather than living out for like, you know what, Barney, I, I told you so. I told you that wasn't going to be a good <laughs> midfield. Look how yeah. correct I am. I know more than the manager, the club, the whole team of analysis and sports scientists that we have working for mm. us. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, damn. Oh, oh, you're right. Yeah, that midfield didn't work and um, we lost um, badly. But you won. You won. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> damn. One like, point for me, zero for Spurs. Yeah. I win. I yeah, win. That's yeah. all I care about. <laughs> Exactly. Oh, it's ridiculous. Um, on the uh, on the players, I felt that um, Delhi had a, a pretty disappointing game, um, and we, what was kind of funny was that he was on. You know, he would have been good when they were really bunkered in, but he came off for Lucas, who obviously is like on a very hot run of form and maybe uses the Lucas powers to to dribble through their defense. But, you know, like he, you know, couldn't get that much happening. Like it was weird that Doherty and um, Hill played on like the opposite sides and were like inverted. And Doherty was okay. Like it's still like, this is probably one of his better games for Spurs, but that's not really saying anything. Um, uh, I thought Hill was, you know, looked good. Um, but at the same time, like just didn't have that, like what you want from a, from a sub where it's like they come on and they do something, they do something that's not 
uh, not already present on the field that no one else could do, and then they cause a change in the game. It just like he did some good things, but it wasn't sort of up to that level. Um, and the last thing I'll say is um, uh, Winks. I think during the game he like gave he like just held onto the ball for so long and got tackled, and um, we almost conceded. But then also did like his it was his assist what would have been his assist for the Kane uh, offside goal. Um, and I'm still on the Winks bandwagon. I'm still on it. Like, I still think he had a pretty – it's still better than what I've seen previously. Oh, oh definitely. And I think that, mm. you know, um, to touch on both your points about Delhi and Winks, like, mm. they played well against Liverpool, and then we've mm. kind of got in our heads, like, they're back. Or, or mm. maybe not even Winks is back. Winks is at this new level. And then it's yeah. like suddenly now they can't make any mistakes. They can't mm. – you know, they have to be perfect sort of going forward. And, you know – as they're adapting to the system, like there's hope for them now, but it's like it's almost comical seeing that after this game, everyone's back to like sell Delhi, sell Winks, <laughs> get them out of the club, bring in De Bruyne. <laughs> and it's yeah, just like, yeah, yeah. like it's yeah. like, look, Conte's working with them. If it's going to take time, it's going to take time for them mm. to get that consistency up. Like they had every all the pieces fell into place for Liverpool. Like I know we didn't win the game, but for them to both have good games. Um, mm. But like Delhi, see, I think Delhi is like really dangerous when we have a big open game because that's when like mm. he's got space to make those runs in behind. And whilst he does have a lot of skill, like he doesn't necessarily have that creativity when it's in tight spaces. And when he's mm. surrounded by a few players, he usually gets like bunkered in and he's not that great. So mm. like I would have preferred to see he'll come on a little bit earlier and be given a bit more time. Because um, it's it plays like that who I think are more likely going to sort of break the deadlock in games mm. like this, um, and I think Lucas is a good call to bring on um, in a situation like this. Um, but it's just like, look, if if this if we score a goal, this game opens up. I'm sh- I think Delhi possibly scores. Like, mm. you know, when it is open, Delhi, which is what happened with the Liverpool game. Liverpool were really sort of going at us, and they were leaving so much space for Delhi just to play mm. with. Um, so I just think it's like as these players are coming back into the fray, like we've got to be careful not to sort of try and judge them too much individually on each game and like praise them as gods one week but then tell, say that they've got to leave the club the the mm. week after. And I think it goes back into the same thing where they, they come in, they have a good game, and then you get fans who are like uh, with the next game if they don't play as well, they're like, well, see, I told you so, Delhi's still rubbish. Mm. Yeah. And it's just like it's not – it's just not like that. And and like you, like I thought Winks overall like still had a decent game in this. Um, mm. And I think like he, there were still a lot of positives that came from his play and um, it's great. You're seeing like now how he is looking to play these attacking balls and it's not just sort of safe sideways passes. And we'll never know whether this was like previous managers telling him that they don't want him to be um, playing sort of a, you know, lower percentage balls going forward or if, like Conte has come in and just sort of given him a harsh, harsh word. And it's like, I need this out of you. You need to start doing this more if you want to stay here. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to lump Winks and Jelly into the same group because I thought, like you just said, that Winks actually, apart from one sort of bad moment, actually had like a pretty good game. Like I would put it in, you know, the higher end of his games for Spurs. Um, And I definitely don't want him sold because I think in a contest system, he has a really, really uh, useful set of skills for that. But Delhi for me in this game, and Delhi was good in the the Liverpool game, but 
this was it was really not good. And I'm not I'm not trying to like swing on the like to me the Liverpool game is the anomaly, not the uh, return to the mean. Like that was the that was the because there was so much space. And there were a few little interchanges that Delhi and Wiggs did together, actually, like one touch to get out of trouble, and they were really nice. But on a whole, I thought Delhi just offered nothing. Um, and I guess the, the the biggest concern is that, I mean, I I don't want him to be sold, but I'm also like, uh, he just there was no there was no upside to him being on the field when he was on. I felt. But what worries me more is the fact that Endon Bele sat on the bench again. And it's like, this guy is perfect to come on here. Perfect. He's the he's maybe the best player you could bring on to to try and break through. And he doesn't even get close to coming on the field. And it just makes me think that maybe apart you know, apart from one game where we saw him because our other midfielders couldn't couldn't play. <laughs> we are going to get, he's going to go. Like, I I don't want him to, but I'm also like, if, if, like we said when Conte came in, if Conte thinks no, then I agree. Like, Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think the, the funny thing I find with Ndombele now, and we noticed this in the, the Palace game, Mm. Um, because the end of that game, once that game was done, they cut to the bench quite a few times and like the, the commentators and the, the cameras started doing like a blanket watch on the players and they, yeah. they were like, oh, well, there you go. Uh, Delhi and, um, I forget who was next, next to Delhi. It might've been like Doherty someone. And they're just like, well, look, there they are. They've got the Navy blankets out. And then they cut mm. back to it and like, oh, <laughs> I think they showed maybe, mm. um, some other players are like, oh, they don't have Navy ones. They've got cream blankets. <laughs> and you're like, What's going on here? And then you just see like, uh, and Dombele on the end. And he's got his like big winter jacket on that's like, it's like the drawstring around his face is pulled so tight that you can't mm. even like, <laughs> that just could be some random person sitting there. Mm. Um, and I just kind of feel like either he's just like the coldest man on the planet mm. and it's like, but he never looks like he's even remotely ready to come on. And mm. Again, I don't want to blame him for this in that scenario, but when you see sort of players on the bench, you see some that look like they're raring to go, whereas like him, like I said, like he looks so rugged up and snug. Like if he just had like a little cup of cocoa and um, some roasted marshmallows there, that would suit him more for like how his body language is sort of coming across rather than looking like a player who's like really sort of, you know, wants to come on and sort of make that difference. Um, mm. And I guess this is a, like, I don't want to, you know, comment overall about his whole mentality because there have been so many different things commenting about that um, and everything constantly. But I agree with you now where it's like if Conte doesn't see Ndombele as working into his plans and he might still go, he needs a bit more time for me for, to, in order to bring him in. Mm. Uh, but I'm with you. It's like if he decides to sell him, great, I agree with that. If, he, if Conte decides to keep him, great, I agree with that. And I think I'm mm. the same with Delhi now. Too, mm. um, because I think in Spurs fans' minds, we like we've got to stop thinking that Delhi is this really huge prized asset that is worth you know 100 million. He's not mm. worth mm. that, and which means that we can still like us still keeping him if Conte thinks he has value to our squad might be the best thing to do instead of selling him for 30 million, 20 million, or something, and then trying to spend that money on finding a replacement. Yeah, totally. The other thing is Lacelso. Uh, sorry. Lacelso is uh, Lacelso. Lacelso is how you say it. Lacelso 
the Kelso. Interesting. Uh, yep, I was trying to think of a reference to a television show where someone's called Kelso. Uh, Does that ring any bells? That's that seventy show. I think Ashton Kutcher was. Uh, I, okay. I'm pretty sure. Cool. I, don't, I, mm. I think I only saw a couple of episodes, but I think he was Kelso. Okay, <laughs> cool. We find that out. I can move on. Um, thank you, thank you very much, Dan. Um, so Lachelso again injured. At this point, it's like, dude, what is that? like? Are you using us as a gym? Like you, you know, you go and play for Argentina. You get injured. You don't play for us. You're not even on the bench. You come back. You get injured again. Like it, it's uh, maybe he it's isn't so actually injured. Maybe he's not actually injured though, and. You've actually stumbled onto something here that he is starring in the Argentinian version of that '70s show, playing Lo Celso. <laughs> maybe, maybe that, that seems like the most plausible thing at this stage mm. because, like, he's missed so much time. Like, I often forget <laughs> that he's in our team, <laughs> mm. and like, even thinking and watching games, I'm like, oh, who could we bring on? And I just completely mm. forget that Geo even plays for us. Mm. Yeah, and it's so frustrating as well because when he does come on, most of the time it's like he's playing wide right. And you're like, that's not his position. Like, you're doing this because of uh, the way you want, you know, the left side, Sonny on the left to make runs and this is more. Like, we don't even see him playing in midfield. <laughs> like, um, it's, yeah. it's so And poor Sess as well, who's injured again. Um, it's so frustrating for him. Like, I can't believe that window. I think we've said this many times before, but it's like we signed Sess, uh, Lachelso, Lachelso, uh, and Endon Ballet, and it was a good window. And now, in retrospect, it's like how many games have all of them together played for Spurs? Barely any. Like it's so annoying. And I, I, I like Sess had a great game last time he played for us, and I think his injury is like not. I think it's just a, a pull or a muscle pull, and he won't. He should be back by uh, the next game. I'm, I'm really not sure about this. I'm making it up pretty much. But. Even though we've got games in such quick succession, I have no doubt in my mind that he's going to get back, get fit again, and then get injured before the next game as well. <laughs> yep. It just seems like a rolling thing that he's just like perennially injured. <laughs> and it's mm. just like, like what's one of his attributes? Always injured. Like, yeah. And it's like he's a good player when he's not injured. But like, mm. again, it gets to a stage where – and this is still, this is not on the bandwagon of like sell everyone, sell everyone, sell everyone. But I mean, I kind of think like, you know, if you're getting over a two, three year period, like players, a player is constantly injured the whole time. I think mm. we then have to look at going like, all right, we need to try and offload for as much as we can, because mm. it's just going to be much better for us to have a worse player in our squad who's available mm. rather than sort of persisting with a player who is constantly injured and, like it's not like players have you know thirty forty year careers where we're like you know what three four years that's fine because we'll get ten good years out of them afterwards. Like it's not like a car that it's like all right we had some early troubles and but then we just replaced the drive shaft and now we're all good to go. <laughs> um, <laughs> we've got to look at it and go like you know players' careers are super short and we need to be turning over players that are, are, are sort of getting injured constantly. Yeah, yeah. The issue is like we because of the the injury situation there's no like value from the sale maybe Seth because he's you know so young but the other two it's like well they're both mid 20s now which is which is young but they have been injured well Endobelle hasn't played and uh Le- has been injured you know f- forever and if if you spend money on him he's probably going to be injured um 
even though he had no injury troubles at uh, PSG or uh, Real Betis. So it's like, <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know. I no, don't know. It's a total- well, I, th- I think the angle there is that um, these other leagues sometimes, like in a sense, I guess it's kind of like Dembele going to China. Um, and it's like his body was probably a bit too frail for the Premier League, um, even though he was, I mean, he was, <laughs> when he wasn't injured, he was like so solid and, his, mm. you know, he would shrug off anyone that came within 10 feet of him. But he was getting too many injuries playing in a, in the Premier League. And I think that there is this feeling from sometimes from um, other teams that are outside of England going like, you know what, we could get a bit out of this player if they're playing in a less physical league. They might not be as susceptible to injuries and, I think as well, some teams and some leagues have a narrative where they think that if a player doesn't work out in England, they can take them and like they can kind of fix them a little mm. bit. Like what happened with uh, like Suarez going to Barcelona. Mm. And it's like, well, a Liverpool, look, he, yeah, he bites people and yeah, he says some <laughs> racist things, but it's because he's misunderstood by the English. Mm. So yeah. we better bring him <laughs> over here, get him away from all that. And, mm. you know, I, I do feel like, you know, the English press is, press is pretty savage, but I mean, so are the presses in a lot of these other countries too. Um, yeah. But anyway, I feel like there is probably some sort of narrative there where we can sell players and that, like there wouldn't really be Premier League teams that are going in for them. But mm. And you do have to take a loss. Like no no team in like France, Italy or Spain or Germany is paying 50 million for Ndombele or, or the Celso, mm. um, the Chelsea. Mm. So we've got to take a bit of a loss and I think start, start turning over some of these players. Uh, if Conte is done with them and, you know, um, move on there. But to me, the judgment is coming from like, what does the manager and what do Paratici uh, think? Not how did they play in this one game that we saw? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you'd hope that's not our transfer strategy. Well, I rocked up for that one game and they were terrible. <laughs> Sell them. Like, that would be a nightmare. The one thing I did want to address, which sort of is jumping back to the Palace game, is this Spider-Man thing. It was the worst celebration I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, and the, the whole thing to me just reeks of like a marketing uh, crossover event, which, you know, of course is Marvel's speciality, where like since when is Tom Holland a big Spurs fan? Since when? Since since like two months ago? And then all the, like he said nothing in any interviews up until that point and now all of a sudden he's like, oh, I love him. And Sonny doing the spot, and then all of a sudden they're able to get both of them in the same room to do an interview. Like, what? Like, <laughs> I do find it funny this idea that like product placement coming into interviews, but like mm. the players are kind of they have to mime things. Like they can't score a goal, then run over and crack open a fresh Coke and like do that. <laughs> yeah. But they could score a goal and then go mm. over and crack open like a, a a pretend can of Coke and sort of yeah um, mm. skull that. So like. It would be interesting if we do see more of those things um, happening. Like maybe a player has a car sponsorship deal and they score like for, um, for Audi or something and then they score a yeah. goal and then they mock going over, get, like admiring a new car that isn't there, <laughs> like having the rest of the team around and showing them like how the door opens mm. and all that sort of stuff. And then they jump yeah. in and drive off as like that's their their celebration. Like, uh, yeah, it, it was a little bit weird saying that, but... Um, I find it's just like it's maybe it's interesting that we haven't seen this happen sort of too much before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you're right and it depresses me that it probably will happen more in the future. But, like, it's funny. Like, if it's from a Spurs angle, this uh, 
maybe marketing partnership between Disney slash Marvel and Spurs. Like Spurs always are very hungry to be within the US market. And Tom Holland talking about Spurs is fantastic marketing because, you know, that new Spider-Man movie I think like is the highest grossing movie this year maybe or or like it's made so much money and Tom Holland is so famous. Mm. But it's not like like people watching Spurs aren't going to see them do the like miming Spider-Man thing and be like, what's that? What's that? Spider-Who? Spider-Man? Well, I mean, if they're doing that, I better go buy tickets to that movie. Like that's not going to promote anything. So um, I guess clever... Um, I just don't think it's organic maybe, is what I'm trying to maybe say. Maybe they need to up the spectacle of it. So, like, if Son scores, the whole stadium goes completely dark and mm. then you just, like, have this light show start happening and then Tom Holland dressed as Spider-Man just starts, like, descending into the middle of the ground um, <laughs> and then just lands on the pitch in that little sort of stance he does when he falls. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, that could happen, but I feel like the league would probably sort of clamp down on it pretty quickly, but mm. it almost feels like that would be a more honest version of this sort of promotion that's happening compared mm. to what it is at the moment. I would be not shocked if next time Sonny Scott, you know how a Bomiang, uh, a Bomiang, I can't talk to him, <laughs> uh, came, uh, he put on the Black Panther, uh, what is it? The face, face mask. Mask, mask. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mask, yeah. And it was just the worst thing I've ever seen, but like, that's going to happen with Sonny. He's going to pull on a Spider-Man mask and then I'm going to die in my chair. There was, I, I'm, now that you say this, I feel like there was a player who was pulling out the Spider-Man mask. Um, was oh. it a player who played for Fulham? There was. It oh. was like a few years ago I, mm. and I'm pretty sure someone was pulling out the Spider-Man mask to put that on after they scored goals. Um, I'll look into this and I'll see if I can dig up who it was because um, mm. I'm pretty sure that actually happened. Uh, oh, which would be, I don't know. Yeah, maybe Son. Although Son keeps saying it's the last time he'll do it, <laughs> he just and then, but Does then now again. he gets all his mates. In, oh yeah, <laughs> in, oh, involved in it as well. Um, yeah. Some, something that I did find out this week. Now we've been speaking about this a little bit of like who Conte's hitman is on the sidelines. Mm, mm. Um, and. Uh, I did some research, and by research I mean ask Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great, great, great. To see, but then was able to sort of verify through um, other other sources. And when I say that, I mean Google image search. So hell yeah, um, we'd often speculate like, who is this like bald hitman we have? Who's this like really well built guy that he seems to be like ha uh, handing players over to the fourth official to sub them on? Um, mm. And I hadn't really recalled seeing him too too much before, but. Uh, we, a lot of speculation of who he could be because he looks quite menacing. Uh, it looks mm. like a bit of an enforcer. Uh, but apparently it's the player liaison named Alan Dixon who is uh, Daniel Levy's brother-in-law. Mm. Um, and there was a photo doing the rounds when Conte first signed where it's Conte, Paratici, Levy and um, Alan Dixon sitting there and Alan Dixon's sitting there looking quite menacing. And everyone mm. just comments on the photo, look how scared Levy looks. Um, mm. But apparently he's ex-military. And he's kind of like a bit of security to the players, but then also helps them find homes when they need to and and things like that as well. So I was hoping for a more like menacing uh, sort of backstory uh, mm. about him. But um, there we go. He's player liaison officer who <laughs> used to be like a military commando or something. I find it so confusing because when... Because you know, in the in the Amazon documentary, there's that guy that's the player liaison officer, um, and I think he talks with Ndombele. Oh, he's there when Levian and Nobele have that yeah. <laughs> that discussion. Um, 
And that man, to me, the way I remember him, looks entirely different to this hitman dude. And that guy was like this old, nice man who, you know, was like very friendly and very personable. And then this guy looks like he could kill you, like, with his hands, uh, like he could crush your crush your whole head. Um, and he looks – it doesn't look like the same man to me, but uh, obviously it – is it? Is it like? No, there's different yeah. different guy, and and this guy's been there for a while because there's also footage of him when Spurs played. I think it was under Pochettino and played in Singapore. And there's like mm. after a game, they're just going around clapping all the fans who came out. And then like a fan makes a run for it to try and run towards the squad to get a selfie or something. Mm. And then you see Alan Dixon just like break through like four players. Like his instincts just kick in and he just like makes a beeline straight to this guy. And the streaker just like stops, turns around and starts running away. Whereas <laughs> like usually they are happy to kind of just be caught. Whereas the guy was like kind of like, no, all right, no, I wasn't going to do anything. I'm running back. I'm, I'm getting yeah. out of here just because of sort of how menacing he looked. And there's also a mm. photo of him from when we had um, Giovanni Dos Santos, mm. um, and I think it's like Gio was out on the club, so out on the out on the town, hitting the clubs, getting pretty intoxicated. And there's a photo where like I think Alan Dixon was sent out to get him, and, like bring him back in. <laughs> so there's a thing where he's got a jacket over Gio's head and he's like pulling him into a cab. Oh my god! Uh, so he's like he's like Mike from Breaking Bad. Yeah, like he is Daniel Levy's Mike. Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. Who just takes care of whatever needs to be taken care of. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And, yeah, I sort of, it's still nice. It's nice. There's, like, this this uh, this person there. But, like, he looks amazing, but I'm sure he's very lovely too. So, you know. <laughs> you sure? You sure? You sure well, about that? who knows? I mean, mm. it, it, it he could not be. But, yeah, it's just, like, I've never seen him have such an active role before, which I think I was like, is he new? Is he some Italian mm. guy that, uh, you know, Conte's brought in? Um, mm. but no, there we go. Maybe just making yeah. sure that the players go on the pitch. Yeah. Yeah. Just making sure that making sure the fourth officials don't do anything funny, <laughs> yeah. uh, when they check the boots <laughs> and the fingernails. Oh, um, definitely. The, the, the one other thing which, uh, non-Spurs related, which I, I sort of, um, read about a couple of days ago, which I just want to talk about quickly mm. was that, um, have you heard what's been happening with the Guinean national team? No. So Nabi Kaita is their captain. Right. Um, and I think, or maybe it's Guinea, I think. Um, mm. uh, Guinea or Guinea, I'm not too sure on the exact pronunciation, but basically they had a, uh, a military coup uh, a couple of months ago <laughs> where uh, uh, Mamadi Dumbuya took over, um, right. and, well, forcefully. Uh, mm. And then as we've got the African Cup of Nations coming up, uh, apparently he sort of said to the, the, the national team, bring back the trophy or bring back the money we invested in you. Oh. And so he said to them, you either need to win or you need to give us the money that we spent on you to go to this tournament. End of story. Uh, Whoa. And everyone's like, hmm, uh, don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> mm. But my thought is, is like, hmm, I wonder if that was just sort of like the um, the sort of how most, how all clubs in <laughs> sort of ran themselves. Uh, would that motivate players a little bit more to, I feel like it would probably result in like chaos. Oh, can you imagine if the like if the Australian government did that and the, the players obviously don't win the World Cup and then they have to return and just give S- Scott Morrison like ten cents each for how much they've invested in the <laughs> in the Australian team? Like, oh, there you go. Um, yeah, like I feel that, like it'd be a much be... more shallow threat if Scott Morrison. Makes yeah, it. yeah, exactly. But well, whatever. Uh, <laughs> no worries, dude. Um, so should we do? Should we do the Spurs? Are we going to combine 
them or are we going to do separate? No, separate. Medals? Separate. Separate, separate. Okay, um, we have cool. to do separate because I think these two games were so different yeah. um, in nature. So I think we have to do separate for these. Um, cool. Maybe we can start with Palace. Yeah, And I'm, I'm happy to start with that one. Um, oh, please do. Um, so for Palace, no real surprises. Like I think there were quite a lot of plays we played pretty well um, mm-hmm. and it was a pretty cruisy game all up, mm-hmm. like let's face it. Um, mm-hmm. especially since the, the, you know, the red card happened. Uh, but I'm going to give three points to, to Lucas. Great. Um, and I know we speak about this a little bit and it just feels so conflicting talking positives about Lucas when he's also our little fascist in the team. Mm, um, yeah. but on the football field in this, he had a good game, um, mm. gets an assist, uh, gets a goal. So, you know, Lucas three points, uh, two points to Kane, uh, and one point to Son. So I'm not really, Great. you know muck around there like basically the three it was good to see the front three score and like play roles in like assisting each other um Mm -hmm. throughout that and it kind of shows like okay cool when they really click like that's a really sort of you know dynamic attacking trio um Mm -hmm. that you know they can score they can do a good job and i think yeah to me like it's not a huge problem like what we have up front with them um when we've got the rest of the team behind them ticking over a bit better and um and playing well, and it's playing off that sort of solid, solid base, which is what we saw in that Palace game. Um, so they're the, like the positive votes. Uh, in terms of negative votes, I'm just going to give a, a negative ten to to Zaha because, mm-hmm. like you know, it would punish him further. Um, mm. and there'll be the extra sting after the red card and missing some <laughs> games. Um, and negative five hundred for Rio because of those comments. Um, <laughs> I could probably give out some like encouragement awards to players, but. Um, I think just overall, like, solid game, pretty straightforward. Yeah, sweet. All right. Mine are going to be quick because I'm giving all my um, positive points to one man, and that's Lucas Mora. Um, I think when Lucas has a good game, uh, you gotta, you got to just uh, – you got to celebrate it because you don't know when it's coming around again. Um, so, so that's yeah, six so points. Six, <laughs> six points to Lucas Mora. Encouragement award to Sanchez for his excellent work in getting Zaha sent off. Um, and then I'm going to give uh, negative uh, 10 to Zaha for being Zaha. Um, uh, that I think that that's it. Oh, no, sorry. And negative three to Conor Gallagher because I just don't like him. Um, <laughs> I don't like all the like, he's at Chelsea. Yeah, he's, he's so good. He's at Chelsea, blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what? Mm, he didn't have a very good game. Um, <laughs> and I think that he's so overhyped. Um, so yeah, that's that. Um, great. All right. Let's move on to Southampton game. Southampton game. All righty. Um, do you want me to go first for this one? Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I'm going to give, um, positives here. Jeez. Um, it's tough. (laughs) It's tough. Oh, oh, positive to, um, positive three to, uh, Ben Davies, who, is the greatest centre-back in the world uh, at the moment. <laughs> he did some really great work. Um, it's so funny that in the in the back three of him, Dyer and Sanchez, he's like Mr. Reliable. <laughs> like yeah. to, you know, like whenever he's got the ball, I'm like, this is going to be fine. Whether with the other two, it's always, especially Sanchez, to be like, um, And I guess with Davies oh. too, like he did get on the end of that uh, cross from the free kick from Son, which was offside when he put in score. Mm. So, yeah, that's true. Like, you know, uh, it's good to see him getting in those positions. Yeah, yeah. What a legend. Wow. The best centre-back in the world. Um, 
I'm going to give uh, two votes to. Um, God, this is really tough. Uh, this this week, uh, two votes to Winks um, because I thought he had a pretty good game, bar that uh, that one stuff up and that through ball to Kane that should have been uh, a goal or, or a goal that was allowed was really nice, and I hope that kind of play continues. Um, and then one vote for Kane for just absolutely burying that penalty. That was such a good penalty. Um, he's so good at them. Um, in terms of bonus points, I'm not. I'm not going to give any. Like I don't. Oh, actually, no, I'll give one to uh, Brian Hill because I thought he, even though I said he didn't really, like, massively affect the game, I still think that he uh, looked good and encouragement awards are for encouragement. So um, that's that. <laughs> and then my negatives, um, <laughs> um, who, was the, who was the ref for this game? What? Uh, uh, I can't remember. Yeah, God, I've got no idea. It doesn't um, – Google also doesn't tell me um, – who it is, but I'll just give uh, negative uh, negative three to. I'll look this up later. Whoever the ref was, um, you Mr. Suck. Referee, Mr. <laughs> referee, negative, negative, uh, and then for the rest of my votes, I'm going to go negative hundred for VAR um, because, like, my cat could do a better job than uh, the job that was done in this game, and that would be it. What about you? Great. Uh, South- I love how efficient <laughs> the events yeah. medal is this week. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I'm going to give three points to Winks. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it was difficult to really find a standout great player in this game. Um, yep. But I think, again, like, you know, he played Son through to win the penalty. Um, and mm, I just think overall, even though he made some mistakes, um, it's like I, I really don't don't mind like Winks getting some game time now, and I think more than anything, it's good to start rotating the players that we have when we've got so many games, and it's just been so frustrating in the past when we've just tried to play all the you know <laughs> every player plays ninety minutes each game, and um, we really sort of try and extract all the juice we can from them without giving any rest. So um, I think Winks Winks did well, and like in the you know in the few games he's come in, he's done pretty well. Mm. Uh, two points to give to Kane. Um, cause he did, you know, score the penalty and also scored another goal, which was given offside. So, um, him two points. Uh, I'm also giving one to Davies. Um, mm-hmm. and I think, yeah, even though it didn't count him getting under that ball, it was good because something else I saw that l- the last few days is like the spread of goals that we've had, um, like compared to say Man City, they've got so many scorers who have even mm. chipped in with two or three goals. Same with Chelsea. Like, it's kind of mm. crazy. Like, if you look at Man City and how far ahead they are in the league, um, I think Sterling is their top scorer and he's equal with Bernardo Silva, um, but they're 13th and 14th in the league scoring charts, um, mm. yet they're running away with the title. And it's because they're getting so many goals, like, being chipped in from everywhere. Um, and that's really, compared to us, it's really, like, a problem when you see that it's basically, like, Son um, and then Kane and then we've got like Lucas and then maybe one or two other players who have won. And then there's a huge mm. drop off from players who just aren't scoring. So mm. I think that we really need some of these other players to start chipping in with goals too. So we're not just so reliant on like Kane and Son. So, you know, the more the Davies can get forward and um, if he can get, you know, three, four goals a season, that's a good season for Davies. And we kind of need a few other players to start doing that as well. Yeah, totally. Um, I'm going to give encouragement uh, half point to to Hill as well. Um, I hope we see more Hill. I just want to see more of what he can do. 
Um, and he's still really relatively like an unknown quantity to a lot of us fans because yeah. we just haven't seen enough of him to really make a firm judgment yet. Um, and then I, I'm going, yeah, encouragement for Doherty as well because, you know, he came on as left back and some people on Twitter and some Irish fans say that he has played left back previously and they think he's better suited as a left back. Mm. Um, he didn't really like the frustrating thing with him on the left is that he's got no left foot and every time he goes to cross it in, he has to cut back onto the right. Um, yeah. But at the same time, like I thought he did okay and he did at least, you know, try and get the ball in a little bit and sort of get some things happening. Uh, and then I'll just go minus 100 to VAR as well because mm. I think like, you know, in this game, like the offsides, it's very different to these clear and obvious error other decisions that are not given where you can blame the referee a little bit more. Like mm. VAR directly ruled offside and um, the the Forster incident. So mm. I think they've got to take the blame for that. Um, the one other thing which we didn't really sort of cover, which I think is probably important to, to, to go over, is for um, James Ward-Prowse's goal, um, mm. when you actually look at the footage, we have all of our team in a line. We have seven players, uh, pretty almost eight players, that are in a dead straight line. So when we get this long throw that comes in from Salisu, and also while I'm on my high horse, taking so long to go off and take these long throws again. Like <laughs> yeah. the league has to cut this stuff out. You can't just go, yeah. oh, it's a long throw. We want to do a long throw. So we get a minute to prepare for it, get everyone mm. forward in the box. Like It just shouldn't happen that way. Um, but I thought the defending was really, really poor as a team on this one because we had three, four players on the edge of the six-yard box who weren't even marking anyone. Mm. And then the big header comes in and then everyone, we've got so many players there, but they're all so slow to react to get out to yeah. James Ward-Prowse. And it's like, you know, we know, oh, James Will Prowse, can he hit a ball? Um, yeah. And so I just figured like that was probably a little concerning. Um, mm. So maybe I'll give minus one to the whoever defensively coached us this week <laughs> yeah. um, because that was pretty sloppy and it's like, great, we got so many players back, but why were they all so far back and um, mm. sort of slow to react there? Yeah, I mean, it's compounded by the fact that because you're allowed to take two hours to do a long throw, like they know the long throw is coming and still like, well, boys, line up, like away <laughs> from how we can affect the play at all. Um, yeah, it seemed really strange. It seemed really strange. It's also weird too um, because you can't be offside from a long throw. So there's what's mm. the point in holding one straight line? Mm. Like surely make sure you're picking up the players and then also m just mark a bit of the space around it and don't defend in such a flat manner. You've got to defend in lines, um, mm. not one line, in multiple sort of lines of depth. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It was just really, really bizarre. And like I'd be, I'd be very surprised actually if like, you know, if Conte would look at that and go, hmm, that's what I've been working on. <laughs> yeah. Ah, well, they nailed my line. That's uh, That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, bizarre, absolutely bizarre. Um, so next game is in three days, kind of, two days, really. Uh, second uh, of Jan against Watford. Um, I hate Watford. I, I hate their colours. I hate the moose thing. Why are they called the Hornets? Um, I, I can't stand them. Um, so I hope we, I mean, like every game I hope we win. Um, what are your, what's your prediction for this game? I think we'll bounce back against Watford mm -hmm. um, because I just feel like Conte is going to make it very clear to the score that this is not an acceptable result given the circumstances of of this game. And there was a bit of rotation as well. So, mm. like, you know, like 
um, even in the the Palace game, we subbed a couple of players early, like Kane and um, uh, Kane and Son, and to give them a bit of rest. So I think like we are starting to see some key positions like sub out and and sort of get some rotation going. So I feel like we will come back and we'll win this one. Um, I think probably like a three one or something. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to go two nil. Two nil. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think like we'll I think we'll get over the line on this one and. We've still got so many games because we've got this, then we've got Chelsea in the cup. No, mm. we've got so we've got so many games. We've got we've got Morecambe in the cup at some stage oh. soon, um, and we do have Watford. We've got Chelsea next week in the cup, and then we've mm. got the following the week in the cup as well. And then I think mm-hmm. we've got Arsenal in a few weeks after that. So mm-hmm. there are quite a few games going on, but I think now with the players we're starting to see rotate through, we should be able to finish off these teams. And I really kind of see this Southampton game as a bit of an anomaly given that mm. we ha- we needed two contentious VAR calls to go against us in this um, for us mm. to not win it. Yeah. I- I'm counting it as a Spurs win in my head because um, we were robbed. <laughs> we were robbed. It's like we're starting with an alternate facts table. Yeah. Like this is yeah. the one version of the table exists, but we've got our own version of the table, which is more true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is more reflective of what actually happened. Um. All right, well, uh, thank you for listening to another week. We'll be back next week. Um, and I hope you've had a beautiful Christmas and a happy new year. Um, I've been Barney. I've been Dan. There you go. Thanks for saying. And come on, you Spurs. You've been listening to A Bit Spursy. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Email us at hello at abitspursy.com and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms.